0: I just wanted my friends to watch my videos. And I knew that if I have 50 friends, at some point I'm going to have a million friends. And I knew if I'm going to have a million friends, I knew that I'm going to have 14 million friends. And I think at some point it's possible to have 30 million friends. So it's just a matter of time until you get to the millions. And also, it's so obvious, right? If If you have attention, money is a guaranteed side effect. That's it.
1: That's Nas Yassin, the creator of Nas Daily, a Facebook channel with over 14 million subscribers. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens, part of the HBR Presents Network. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm the guy who invented the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out. Today, FOMO is an epidemic and is changing us so much that it sort of feels like we're evolving into a new species. But FOMO doesn't have to take over your life. You can find the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. I'll show you how right here on FOMO Sapiens. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I interview people who are changing the world and ask them how they choose from among the many opportunities and options in their busy lives. In 2016, Nas Yassin quit his job at Venmo and with $60,000 in savings decided to travel the world, camera and drone in hand. Over the next 1,000 days, he traveled to over 60 countries, filming what he saw and then uploading a one minute video of his experiences each day to Facebook. That Facebook channel grew from a few hundred followers to over 14 million and in the process allowed Nas to create a media company that is focused Focused on telling stories about the human experience. I wanted to have Nas on the show because his path is one that has been driven by big and often unconventional decisions. As you'll see in our discussion, his life trajectory and philosophy defies easy stereotypes. The son of a teacher and psychologist, he is a Palestinian-Israeli who grew up in an Arab village in Israel. Then, thanks to a chance meeting with an American woman whose son was studying at Harvard, he applied there himself and graduated with a degree in economics in 2014. Then, just a few years later, he walked away from a prestigious job and found a way to turn that fateful decision into a new life and a thriving career. As you'll see shortly, NASA's take on life offers a fresh perspective that might just change the way you think about making the big decisions in your own life. Then stick around for the foam moment of the show when I'll be talking to the founders of The Wonder, a hot new startup that has created a private member space for parents and their kids. The company just raised $2 million in venture capital from Marissa Mayer, Rebecca Minkoff, and FOMO Sapiens alum Anu Dugal of the Female Founders Fund. It's going to be a great show, so you won't want to miss out. And to make sure you never miss out on all things FOMO Sapiens, make sure to text FOMO to 66866 and subscribe to my newsletter, What Did I Miss? Okay, let's get on with the show. FOMO. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, Nas Yassin. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Uh, Thanks for being here today. I appreciate your time. So I want to start right in with a question that I always start with, which is everybody feels a little FOMO sometimes. So what turns you into a FOMO Sapiens?
0: Fomo, Fomo. Well, I, uh, I, I, I want everything for myself. So every, like every time something happens, every time something good happens that I'm not involved in it, I feel Fomo. It's like if if there's like a big like you know social media explosion in like another country, like in Los Angeles, I'm like, crap, what am I doing in India? You know. So I have a Fomo for everything that's good that's happening in the world because I want to be part of it.
1: This is okay. So this is a severe FOMO sapien. I love it. <laughs> I
0: love that you're willing to admit it to us. As oh, of well. course. Of course. I, I have a lot of uh, uh, problems. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So
1: you wrote uh, this new book, which is called Around the World in 60 Seconds. So what got you started on this journey? Why did you decide to leave the treadmill,
0: quit your job and do this really incredible journey? I remember I was, uh, I was a software engineer at Venmo, and then um, I, I was overpaid, underworked, and it just didn't feel like that was like, a good use of my time, to sell time for money. It, it honestly felt like, okay, Venmo, I'll give you one year of my life, and you give me back this annual salary. And back then, it was around $120,000 a year, and that's a lot of money for anyone in the world. Uh, But to be honest, it felt like my one year in my 20s was worth a little bit more than 120. I think it was worth around a trillion. And so uh, no one was going to match that number. And so I had to uh, use that year to build up myself. And this is why, you know, knowing that I have very, very limited time, I had to quit and start just doing everyday day. doing something that i i feel proud of
1: and i think it, it, in your book you talk about your background you come from a city in israel that is an arab city you grew it up used to be a village five years ago and now it's a city Finally. and you, you sort of ended up in the united states because somebody kind of took an interest in you that in the states brought you over you visited harvard you applied you got in yes which is pretty incredible story so you are you you kind of talk about the fact that you you always should take a chance on yourself and believe that you can you can actually do incredible things in your life. And so I guess
0: that ethos fed into how you saw the use of your time once you graduated. Right. Every time you sort of, you, you believe in yourself and do something that other people are not doing, it just works. I don't know how, I don't know how that happens. At the same time, you got a bunch of classmates
1: that stayed doing the treadmill. So I imagine a lot of your friends, like, did you hear from the doubters that said, like, you're going to quit your job and travel around the world for your, I mean, at the, I guess at that point you were just doing it for six months and then it became longer, but yeah. Did you feel pressure as you made this choice to, from the people around you who said, like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Because this is something that people who do new things feel all the time.
0: So, yeah, I think when, we, like, three years ago, now it makes sense, right? Oh, you know, 14 million followers. Oh, it makes sense. Keep doing this. But when you first start doing this, um, especially when you say, I want to put my videos on Facebook, a place that cannot monetize videos, And I'm going to quit my U.S. visa. I'm going to give up my U.S. visa so I cannot come back to the United States after that. That kind of makes no sense. And, And not for my parents, not to people at Harvard. And I do have to say, I noticed that there's a lot of like, At least at Harvard, at least my friends, there's a lot of like, okay, I need to de-risk my life and do what I know is guaranteed to succeed. And so what's guaranteed to succeed in life is a finance job and a tech job. And this is what I did too. Tech job is guaranteed to succeed at least financially. And so to be able to take that kind of risk, uh, calculated risk, was in a way news. (laughs) It was a little bit different, I'd say, to them and to me. Did
1: you think about this like you were an entrepreneur building something? Or when you started
0: out, were you just thinking, like, I'm just going to travel and see what happens? Like, did you have a business plan in mind? So I didn't have a business plan in mind, but I didn't have a desire to just travel for the sake of it. I don't necessarily like the, the, wanderer, the wanderer travel kind of thing. I don't necessarily... Like, oh, I'm just going to walk around the mountains in Ethiopia and see what happens. Like, I do like to have a sense of purpose. There is an end. So, traveling is means to an end. My end was I want to meet as many people as possible. I want to create videos of my experiences with them. I didn't have a business monetary sort of purpose in mind because at the end of the day, it's, it's I mean, you think... Village kids in Israel think about media companies. Like, that's not a career you can think about. Like, that's not something that is a possibility. Fame, it is not a possibility. If anything, notoriety, what is it? Like, being known for bad things (laughs) is something possible in my village. But it's not being known for good things. So you only become doctor, lawyer, or software engineer. And so I just wanted my friends to watch my videos. And I knew that if I have 50 friends, at some point I'm going to have a million friends. And I knew if I'm going to have a million friends, I knew that I'm going to have 14 million friends. And I think at some point, it's possible to have 30 million friends. So it's just a matter of time until you get to the millions. And also, it's so obvious, right? If there, if you have attention, money is a guaranteed side effect. That's it. So money was never the goal. I just knew it was going to come for the ride. And so I will be okay financially. Uh, but the most important thing is I will find those 30 million people, and I want to tell them about the world.
1: Yeah, and what I think is interesting here is a lot of people take sabbaticals. I took a sabbatical uh, as well for for about a year, and what I learned through that experience, and actually in my new book I'm gonna write about this, is that sabbaticals can be many different things to many different people. One model to do it, and I see this a lot of my friends in New York City, is take six months off, go to the gym every day, have lots of fun with my friends, go on some trips, come back, find another job. Some right. other people right. use it to learn a new skill, to launch a new business, to explore something they've always wanted to explore, but they see it as more than just an opportunity to get in great shape. Right. And I think that it's, it's important to think about that because- there are very few opportunities in your life when you can drop everything and and try something completely experimental and new and If you have conditions in your life, you know you have a family and kids and expenses or sick parents or whatever the things are in your life that get in the way of that flexibility you can 't do it, but you identified i think smartly like you had this one period in your life where you knew you could take this risk and instead of sort of faffing about and having you know beach days all the time, you used it as an opportunity to think like an entrepreneur, try something new and like three years later, it's really paid off for you.
0: Yeah. 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 In a way that was, um, it was all planned. It's planned, uh, not to waste a single day. Like it's funny how it happened. The minute I quit my job, I started working and I never thought I'd be working harder when I have no job than when I had a job. It's because right now you, you kind of, if you, if you stay at the beach for too long, you're going to end up running out of money. You're going to end up with no job, no visa, nothing to show for it other than, uh, other than your college degree. And I didn't want to rely on my college degree. I wanted to rely on something that I built that without my hands wouldn't be created. You know, the, kind of. That, I guess that's the entrepreneurial spirit. And so that would be the Nas Daily thing. And now that's that's the only T-shirt I wear now, right? It's like this T-shirt, which is like the Nas Daily T-shirt. And I don't rely on other people's success to. Wear it. Yes, you know what I mean. I do. Does that and make it, sense? It does. I it, see you're wearing a phone with sapiens. T-shirt I, too. <laughs> I,
1: I I figured you'd be wearing your t-shirt, so I wore mine. But and I, I totally get that. I, I was that guy who came out of college, worked at J.P. Morgan, had the J.P. Morgan everything. I had the bag. I had the t-shirt. I had the all yeah. the stuff. And I was so stoked to go to the old high school reunion and throw <laughs> down the jp morgan card. Right? It's like boom i work at jp morgan and why I, is and that you know why i think it's well that's all I, I think for listen if you are born into a dynastic family and you know you you have a family name that opens doors for you you don't need anything else but when, is that your family name uh homo sapiens no <laughs> <laughs> no you know i come from a no- normal american family and i didn't have those things and so the minute that i was given these brands that i could then Stand on top of a or or whoever it was, it gave me a sense of confidence I didn't have before. What I learned in the process over the course of my career is (laughs) those brands could disappear overnight. I was working at AIG. It went, um, you know, it was a major player in the financial crisis. It became a household name for all the wrong reasons, notorious as you say. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to put that on my resume anymore because it was embarrassing. And people see that all the people who worked at WeWork, who were so excited they worked at WeWork and had the t shirts. And now, it's become a national joke. And so the takeaway I had from this, and it really dovetails what you're saying, is like the one brand that you can create, control, and own is your own. It's the only one you take with you the rest of your life that you have a say in how it is portrayed. Exactly. And it's such a powerful thing. So whenever exactly. somebody throws down the old business card for the big company and, you know, they're suddenly, like, they act like sort of like, you know, they're the big man on campus or the big woman on campus. Yeah, I'm always yeah. like, you know what? Why don't you invest in the, the most important brand, which is your brand? Correct. Fully agree. You started out, I think, with like 150 followers. Now you're up to 13 million. Fourteen. Fourteen million. Yeah. You're going to be 15 million after this thing airs. And so, Thank you. And so what I want to know is for anybody, because we all know, I mean, everybody, I, by the way, anybody who's listening who has kids, their kids want to be influencers these days. Like, I gave a lecture at an at a elementary school in my in Maine. My aunt is a teacher. At, I'm from Maine. And I, I asked the kids what they wanted to be. And a full 50% wanted to be YouTube influencers. YouTubers, yeah. Which is, um, which is a fascinating data point. I'm not going to pass any judgment on it. But people don't realize how hard it is. And so I want you to explain to us, like, say, you know, somebody listening today says, I want to be like, nice. I want to have a huge following. Like, what do you have to do? Is it luck? Is it skill? Like, could anybody just do this? Did your experience as a computer programmer
0: play into like, what is the, what, how did you do it? I think if a kid comes to me and says, I want to be a YouTuber, a 14-year-old kid, most likely the kid is doing it for the wrong reasons. Most people that want to be YouTubers, I'm not even a YouTuber, Facebookers or content creators, they're doing it for the wrong reasons because they look at YouTube and they see money. They look at YouTube and they see fame. And when you try to seek money or fame, you're destined to, you're doomed to fail. I so truly believe in that because best thing that will happen to you is you'll get 15 minutes of fame and then after that you'll be forgotten just like that because your content doesn't withstand the test of time. So my advice would be like if you want to, to become a Facebooker, I hate the term YouTuber <laughs> uh, because YouTube has a lot of negative associations in my world. If you want to be a Facebooker, then you have to do it for the right reasons. So why does anyone need to listen to what you have to say? What value do you add to my life? You can add entertainment value, that's fine. But if you can add educational value to my life, you'll be 10 times more interesting. And I I believe you'll be 10 times uh, last longer in the world. So you have to make a big decision. Do you want your content to be remembered this month or this decade? And that should judge what kind of content you want to make. It's a very
1: important point and one that I think a lot of people have have lost touch of these days is we're making, and especially brands, thinking about, say, say you know, you're, you've got a brand you're building and you, you build yeah. your brand, but say you've got a new company, people are making things that are, that last literally a week, right? Because Insane. they're so, they're so forgettable, they're, they don't. They don't really seem particularly genuine, and so if you were to watch that video in ten years, you'd be like, "This means nothing to me. It has nothing." The things that the, the ads or the content pieces that last, that really play into the human side of life, right. that are universal in nature. Right. You know, you think about Coca-Cola. I'd like to teach the world the same. Like, you could run that that, that commercial today, and it would still move people. Right. And so, right. and so, I guess as you, what you're what you're saying here, and advice to people who are listening is, as you think about creating content, you want to think about creating things that have a Long-term shelf life that are universal in nature, so that you know
0: you put it on online, and it may be five years later that it hits, and then people discover it. Exactly, that's okay too. Exactly, it's funny coming from the one-minute guy because I'm all about like small, short tidbits. But yeah, I made those videos, and I believe when I'm 90, I'm going to be sitting down with my grandkids, and I'm going to be like yo, kids, you have to watch this. You're going to watch me from day one to day 1,000, and the videos and the messages will be as relevant as they were 40, 50, 60 years ago, as they are now.
1: Now, when you started doing this Facebook, nobody thought Facebook was controversial. <laughs> Nowadays, Facebook is up on Capitol Hill all the time. <laughs> There's a lot of backlash. How does that affect the way you think about your relationship with Facebook and the way you're building your
0: business? So, personally speaking, I'm, I'm probably the most biased person you will talk about this with Um, because you know I grew up with no voice right I grew up as a Muslim Arab in a village in the Middle East in Israel and it's like nobody cares about what I have to say and after I went to Harvard you know people started listening a little bit more but at Harvard nobody cared about what I had to say then at work at Venmo they didn't care about what I had to say which is part of the reason why I also had to leave and I think Facebook helped me find my voice and help billions of people find their voice, and so I I'm a big fan of the mission, which is you know everybody knows everybody knows that um, regarding the recent controversies, I feel like the way humans work is we tend to focus a hundred percent of our praise or a hundred percent of our criticism on the number one, so like. So so I, I would say criticism and, criticism and praise are not distributed equally. So, for example, the problems that YouTube has with fake news, right, that didn't get nearly as enough attention as the problems with fake news on Facebook. And I'm trying to understand why does that happen. So in a way, I don't think the problems Facebooks are having now, I don't think it's unique to Facebook because when I was 15 years old, I believed aliens exist. And you know why? Because I saw a YouTube video that literally said UFO sighting in Los Angeles, and I believed it. Wait, that didn't happen? <laughs> <laughs> you probably saw the same video. <laughs> so in a way, this is an internet problem, I like to believe. Data is an internet problem. It's not necessarily a Facebook problem. And so I take all this all this news and media stuff with a little bit of a grain of salt because at the end of the day, billion people still go on Facebook every other day or so, and I want to reach them and tell them about the world. And that's the only thing that matters to me.
1: Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. So you've learned how to harness the good that comes out of social media. But there's lots of things online that don't feel so good. And you put yourself out there in a real way. And I was doing a little research. I found that you live in Singapore now. There was actually a change.org a petition out there telling people, <laughs> asking you not to be allowed to live in Singapore. You,
0: you saw that. Yeah, I signed yeah. it. No, yeah, high five, that.
1: man. I yeah. love that. I love your research. So what I want to know is, what do you do about the trolls and all the people online who criticize? Because you, you know, you, you're from um, you know, an Arab community in Israel. Which is complicated, obviously, just because of historical and political uh, sort of considerations. You are politically liberal and socially liberal. Yeah. And so I imagine, you know, you put yourself out there, you drank a beer in one country, you have a girlfriend— you have lots of people who are like, that guy is a bad. bad guy. And I, you know, i I I'm very rarely trolled, but even like the little, but if you troll me, by the way, you'll hurt my feelings. But <laughs> I will tell you, I read those things and I just, it feels bad. And so how do you deal with the critics online? Because lots of people, they put a business out there or they put an idea out there and they're not prepared
0: for the criticism. So right. how do you deal with it? So that's a great question. I love your research on this. I mean, look, before Nas Daily, I had two enemies, Okay. I had two people that I didn't get along with and I had, you know, I had, let's say, 20 real friends and two enemies, 10%. I was cool with it, you know, 10 people or 20 people like me, two people hate me, it's okay. But when you start with social media, with every new friend you like, you're still going to make the same enemy. So now I probably have two million enemies. And that is a crazy thing to think about. Why do two million people hate me? I'm trying my best to be good in this world, to, to share goodness. And so the answer that I eventually got to is that nobody hates a clown. And by virtue and by nature of the content you make, you must expect resistance. If you don't expect resistance, you are not worthy of the content you're making. You are not, your content is not worthy because nobody is going to hate a video of a beach. But everybody hates videos that try to affect some change. Now, obviously, I'm not trying to hide my agenda. I have a very nice, wholesome, big agenda, which is, you know, I want people to be as liberal as possible in a way, not to the extremes, but you get the idea. And so by nature of just saying that Israel exists, right, by nature of saying literally I come from the country of Israel as a Palestinian, you're automatically going to make a million enemies because Israel doesn't exist to many people. And so imagine going to someone and saying you're from America, and every time you say I'm from America, someone gives you crap for it. I mean, how would you feel? You'll start understanding that hate is part of the world, and you must expect resistance. The petition that you saw in Singapore was actually also religiously motivated. So it was about, it literally says, Nas Daily is not Muslim enough. So we should pay, So we should ban him from Singapore, and that thing came from a Malaysian living in Malaysia, which is a more more of a Muslim country. Now, should that make me angry? It should make me angry that people still think, you know, how religious you are determines whether or not you deserve to be in a place or a country. I mean, that's they're being ridiculous that is ridiculous criticism if someone criticized me right now and says nastalia i think you're uh, you know i think you're mean or i think you're generalizing like native americans or something or you know or african americans i'd be like okay that is criticism i must listen to and i must improve but there is some criticism that you shouldn't listen to and that you should expect And that's the good kind of criticism.
1: Yeah, and I think it it takes a lot of courage to deal with this kind of stuff. But it's something that we're all going to be facing more and more. So this is a very helpful way to think about it. Yeah. So now I think a lot of people would love to drop everything and travel around the world. But, you know, it's not realistic for everybody. Some people have a week. Some people have a weekend. Some people have a month. People have different situations in their lives. But if you're giving advice on somebody who's going on a trip and wants to have a really – wonderful experience and do the kinds of things that you do in your videos like what tips do you have for them to make the most of a journey like a long life trip or like a week-long trip uh let's say a two-week vacation in you know the summertime they're going to let's pick a country you've been to they're going to armenia (laughs) <laughs> now, now, everybody who's, in the, you're not in the studio right now, but <laughs> Naz loves Armenia, as do I. Armenia is an incredible place, amazing. and it, it gave me a lifelong love of lavash, which is their incredible bread, yes. which I, I basically like travel a mile to go buy it every That's time funny. at the supermarket. So I brought him an Armenian hat to wear. I'm wearing a Mongolian hat. But, uh, but it's a beautiful country that that has amazing things to see and that you hadn't heard of when you went, right? I so have no idea. About imagine Armenia. one of our listeners is going to Armenia and they want to have the kind of Naz daily kind of experience. What should
0: they do? That's a good question. Um, Oh, boy. Okay, I'll give you something. You know, do something that most tourists don't do, okay? Because when I was a tourist, I I went to hostels and I love hostels and I hung out with other tourists and we went and saw the country and we took a lot of tourist pictures and that's it. Let's do something a little bit crazy, okay? Go to Armenia, take a picture of you in Armenia, put that picture on a Facebook page called I'm a Tourist in Armenia and then take that post and sponsor it for like $50 and make it available to people in Armenia. And then you'll see that Armenians are going to start start reaching out to you and telling you, come do this, come see this, come do that, because they love tourists there so much. And, and you'll immediately get a chance to really see the local life by reaching them on their Facebook feed. And so, yeah, you can hang out with the hostel owner or the hostel worker, that's good too. That's good too. All locals, all locals are equal. But you can have a more local and a more equal experience by doing that trick. And all it takes is fifty bucks. So I would love to see if anyone tries to do that, and I want to see what the results are. Oh well, I'm going to try to do it. But you if should. anybody does try to do that, uh, any of our <laughs> listeners, just write in
1: uh, information at the end of the show, or you know, also drop a line to Nas. And, and you know, that's and tell what us I used to do too.
0: I so when I when I first started Nas Daily, nobody cared about Nas Daily, and so I would go to India. And i make my first video in India, and then I put $10 to advertise it to India. And then, and then it gets, I don't know, 20,000 views. One of these people just messages me and says, let's make videos together. Let me show you my country in a way you've never seen before. And then I'm like, perfect, let's do it. And all it took was 10 bucks to get the most amazing experience of my life. I stopped doing that now because it's all organic. But at the beginning, it was very, very important to get to that one local that will show you the world. Wow, that's an incredible tip. All right, somebody's going to try this. Now, now, this is the show
1: about finding the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. So what is your advice to our listeners?
0: I I see it all the time. I see see people expecting to be pushed. They want to be pushed to succeed. They want to be pushed to happiness. They want to be pushed for greatness. And uh, really, I think people expect there's like, you know, four people behind them pushing them on top of the hill to get to the top and I've never seen that happen ever in my life I think you should only expect to be nudged you should look for the nudge don't look for the push and so so, so look for inspiration and that's it don't go asking for help even more don't go wanting more more assistance or whatever just do it yourself because if you don't have the self drive trust me you will never succeed and that is a that took me years to internalize because if if one day on day 535 out of this 1000 day journey i didn't wake up and feel like making a video no matter what my girlfriend says no matter what my friends say there's no way they can push me to make that video and so you have to have a self-driving engine inside of you to succeed and if you don't have that then you better start building it
1: and did you have that when you were working at Venmo, for example? Or was it the kind of thing where I mean, were you always kind of the most motivated guy and you did what you needed to do? Or did something change when you started doing something for yourself?
0: Uh, actually, it did change. I, I, I wasn't motivated uh, when I was working at Venmo because I didn't believe. I believed in the mission. I didn't believe in the organization. I thought it was badly mismanaged. And so, yeah, when you're demotivated, not a, no way I could have done a good job at Venmo. I didn't do a good job at Venmo. And I apologize, Venmo, if you're listening. So I only started doing a good job when I started doing things that I truly believed in, in and I truly believed in the impact of. And now, as so you built this, this, that's an empire at this point, this, oh, this wish, video then. empire, uh,
1: 13 million people would disagree 14. with you. Fourteen! Uh, Fourteen, excuse me. What, do you, what, what, do you, what have you
0: missed out on? Have you, have you missed out on anything? Yeah, I'm oh man. I, I think there's a price to everything. So every time you see a successful person, you must the first thing you must ask them is this Who paid for your success? And it's not monetary payment. It's like emotional payment. Like someone has to pay for someone's success, okay? And I think, you know, my parents paid for some of my success because I literally didn't see them. I put them second in my life for three years as I made those videos. My girlfriend, we didn't go on dates for months at a time because I had to make videos. I have no friends left. Literally, as I was making this 1,000-day journey, I had no friends. Like only one or two people that I have online. But I come back to New York, the place that I used to live in here for three years. I go back home to my village for 20 years and there's no one to say hi to me. It's only my family and my immediate family members because I disappeared to go and create this video uh, journey. And so th- this is what I had to pay. This is the cost. I, be- I think I'm going to die a little bit earlier because of all this stress. I think it's going to take a toll on me when I'm 40. I may have a disease or so. Knock on wood, hope it doesn't. And that'll be another cost for this journey. And you know what? It's worth it. It was so worth it. And i do it again in a heartbeat, even if it takes your entire life. Because... I don't think anything in the world is more meaningful.
1: NAS, it's been incredible to learn about what you're doing. So I imagine a lot of people are going to read your book or or look at your videos. Where can we find out more about you?
0: Uh, You can find me on uh, Facebook, NAS Daily, N-A-S Daily, like every day. And uh, just type NAS Daily on Google, and you'll see it. And the book is called Around the World in 60 Seconds, which is a play on words on Around the World in 80 Days. and it really is. It's a, it's a journey around the world. Each one is no more than 60 seconds. And it, it, the way I like to think of it is like instead of spending $10,000 traveling, just buy the book. You'll travel from your room, and then you'll decide exactly which countries you want to go to. And then you'll, it'll save you a lot of money. Now Thanks for stopping by. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it.
1: FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO Sapiens? Now, that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. And now it's time for the FOMO moment of the show, which is the time where I talk about FOMO when it's role in pop culture or tell you about something that's giving me FOMO. And today I'm actually on location at a place that is, I think, gives a lot of people FOMO. It's called The Wonder. It's a private member space for parents and their kids in Tribeca and New York City. And I'm here with the co-founders of The Wonder, Sarah Robinson and Noria Morales, who created this amazing space. Uh, thanks a lot for having me here today.
2: Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us.
1: Uh, so I want to start out with... A question that maybe a lot of people are wondering, what is the wonder?
3: So we say the wonder is a place for family recreation. Uh, It's a place for joy. And it began when Sarah, as a working mother, realized we have limited time with our kids. I want to make the best of it. I want that quality time to count. And we thought, what is a way that we can make a place where that could actually happen? Because we were not seeing it out in the market.
1: And, and I know you both were working in the fashion world before Nora. You were Target. Sarah, you worked in. Uh, you told me you went to two hundred fifty fashion shows a year, which sounds like some people's idea of heaven and other people's idea of H E double hockey sticks. That's you right. are now right. You are now running a business that is—it's a—it's a real estate play. You have a physical space in New York City. You're going to expand across the country. You have raised two million dollars in venture capital from people like Marissa Meyer and Anu Dougal of the Female Founders Fund. So this is this is a real, really interesting business. How was that transition from working in fashion in the corporate world to being entrepreneurs that are running this? And by the way, everybody you might hear in the background some noise. This space is happening. I mean, it's a very lively place. So how was that transition for you guys?
3: it's like we're both really good storytellers and that's what you learn in fashion you learn appreciation for design uh, you understand the power of theater and storytelling and entertainment because that's what we saw come to life and that was coming to life in fashion and what we had to learn how to do was apply that to this club in some ways it helps to come from a different background and go in something new because you're not coming in with all these preconceived notions of what a place has to be and so we came in with sort of this idea of what is it that we want to experience and how can we bring our Uh, background to make this to really differentiate our product which is the club
1: what if you think about the decisions you've had to make so far like what has been the hardest decision you've had to make the one that really kind of you found got are looking at each other with like hmm Mm -hmm. and what what how did you come to a decision
3: what decision hasn't been hard
2: (laughs) yeah do you you have a favorite the list is a mile long hmm to do it in the first place?
1: So let's let's start with that, that, that question of, of, you know, getting into the first place. So, Noria, you were working uh, at Target. I remember you told me that Sarah called you up and said, do you want to get involved? And you said, I'll be an advisor, I'll be an investor. Uh, that's where I want to be. And then you ended up going in full-time. Sarah, obviously, you started this full-time. So I want to start with you, Sarah. What data or inflection point convinced you that you were just going to go all in on this idea?
2: Noria and I had been talking about this for some months. And we started seeking outside counsel and trotting this out to other people and hearing their opinions on it. And it just caught fire. Every single person we talked to was like, you have to do this. This is amazing. Or I've heard of something similar, but it's not, no one has ever put it together in this way. And I think that you need to go for it. And so then we started having conversations with investors and it was It was a long road raising money. I was newly pregnant and exhausted and nauseous. And I remember going to Noria's office one day after getting a bunch of no's from potential investors being like, is this ever gonna happen? Like, do you think we're gonna get this thing off the ground and get it funded? And Noria looks at me and says, there is no way this thing doesn't get funded. And I was like, all right, we can do it. We're gonna keep going. And I think, there are some days where you can make decisions either way, and then you can get bogged down in the process of actually getting something off the ground, and sometimes it just takes this unfettered belief in someone else to just put the wind in your sails and keep you going, and, and that is certainly what it did for me that day.
1: Nice. Okay, Nora. <laughs>
3: So, in some ways, I didn't make the decision. The decision chose me, in a way, uh, because it was a series of tiny decisions every day. Sarah, I'll come with you to that meeting. Sarah, let's do an offsite at my house, and, like, let's really work through this with you. And I found myself drawn into the work so deeply and so passionately that when the time came, um, you know, as Sarah, we had gotten the funding, and it was being built, I realized, oh my God, you know, people invested in us because in part, because I was invested in this and they believed in me too. I can't just leave this. Uh, and so it really wasn't much of a choice. I knew I had to do it. Now, it certainly I will it is definitely a transition to go from like a big corporate environment where you have unlimited bandwidth and resources and, and team to going to a startup. So that's been a huge transition for me personally and professionally, but also incredibly rewarding. Like when do you ever get like really the bejesus scared out of you every day? Uh, it, we've okay, learned okay, so much okay. in the last six months. Uh, but yeah, the decision absolutely chose me.
1: Great story. Uh, great space. And I want to thank you so much for having me, Sarah Noya. Um, best of luck.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. That was super fun. FOMO.
1: Big news. You can now pre-order my upcoming book, Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice at PatrickMcGinnis.com slash FOMO Sapiens. While you're there, make sure to download my free gift for you, the FOMO Sapiens Handbook, which is an exclusive guide to spotting and managing FOMO and even turning it into a force for good. Just remember, you can find links to all things FOMO Sapiens in the show notes. And if you really don't want to miss out, subscribe to my official newsletter, What Did I Miss?, by texting FOMO to 66866 or signing up at patrickmcginnis.com. FOMO Sapiens is part of the HBR Presents Uh Network. The show is produced by AW360 and recorded Uh in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis. Uh If you like today's show, please be sure to subscribe, rate it, Uh and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at Uh patrickmcginnis.com. You can also take the official FOMO diagnostic at PatrickMcGinnis.com slash FOMO dash quiz to find out if you're a FOMO sapiens.